A petite, attractive woman who had started shooting game at a young age in Ohio to help her widowed mother feed the family, Annie was also a virtuoso seamstress who designed, sewed, and embroidered her own beaded and fringed cowgirl costumes. Performing with the Wild West, she had been catapulted to stardom as America's best-known woman sharpshooter. In 1884, when Chief Sitting Bull joined the Wild West for a season, he adopted her, naming her Little Sure Shot. She looked innocent and above reproach, observed biographer Sheryl Casper, a sweet little girl, yet was a sharpshooter of matchless ability. That paradox was part of her appeal. She had a pleasant, wide smile and thick, dark hair cut close around her face and worn long in back, falling over her shoulders. There was magnetism in the way she smiled, curtsied in the footlights, and did that funny little kick as she ran into the wings. Of future plans after her success across the pond, Annie Oakley revealed to the world's reporter only this. I will practice horseback shooting, and that Europe might beckon once again in 1889, as I have very flattering offers from there. Soon enough, Annie Oakley and a lively crowd of Gallic and American go-getters, artists, thinkers, politicians, and rogues would be making Belle Epoque Paris their stage, for the French Republican government was organizing the most ambitious World's Fair yet, the Exposition Universelle of 1889. While the year marked the centennial of the fall of the Bastille, the government preferred to highlight more noble sentiments. We will show our sons what their fathers have accomplished in the space of a century through progress in knowledge, love of work, and respect for liberty, proclaimed Georges Berger, the fair's general manager. Since 1855, the French had been holding an international exposition in Paris every eleven years, more or less, each more gigantic and wondrous than the last. This particular exposition was to be an advertisement for the Republican system, which for eighteen years had kept at bay the Royalists and Bonapartists on the right, and the representatives of various socialist tendencies on the left. The philosophy in power was to be seen as humanist, philanthropic, opening its arms to all of humanity. Already the French and the Americans, Republican allies but also rivals, were looking to make their respective marks at this World's Fair, each determined to uphold national honor at what might be the last great international exhibition of the 19th century. As 1888 began, Parisians, looking at their familiar skyline, dominated by the gilded dome of Les Invalides and the towers of Notre-Dame, also saw, poking up over on the Champ de Mars, the tried and true sight of the 1867 and 1878 expositions, Gustave Eiffel's under construction Tour en fer de trois cents mètres. Alternately mocked, despised, and admired, Eiffel's tower was the chosen centerpiece of the upcoming Exposition Universelle. This astonishing structure had become the most conspicuous and controversial symbol of industry's ascendancy and the triumph of the modern. Eiffel's tower was to be the world's tallest structure 
the thrusting symbol of Republican France, visible from every direction, the perfect monument to preside over the Rococo World's Fair, rapidly rising around its four latticed legs. Gustave Eiffel had been relentlessly pushing to ensure his tower would be finished by May 1889. A self-made millionaire, France's most successful railway bridge builder and an engineer of global ambition, Eiffel had company offices in such colonial outposts as Peru, Saigon, and Shanghai. Attired in black frock coat, vest, and striped trousers, Monsieur Eiffel wore a high starched white collar, a cravat, and a silk top hat. His dark beard was kept neatly trimmed to a point. His hooded blue eyes missed nothing. Stolid and imperturbable, he could be found most days, sun, rain, snow, sleet, at the Champ-de-Mars, perched on the construction platforms.